0: There's such value both for your own inner health and for your finances in coming to this place of enough. And what I feel is the only way to get there is to find enough right now.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Get Your Phil, Financial Independence and Long Life, where we explore ways to achieve those two goals, and we invite really cool people on to help us, and that is why I'm so excited that today Spencer Sherman is with us. Spencer Sherman is an MBA, he's a CFP, he's a leading financial advisor, an author, a public speaker, and he's renowned for his mindfulness-based approach to money. As the founder and former CEO of Abacus, a values-driven financial consulting firm managing over $3 billion in assets, Spencer has transformed the lives of his clients and helped them to achieve financial success on their own terms. And so, Spencer, welcome.
0: Thank you, Chris. Wonderful to be here to talk about the taboo topic of money and (laughs) retirement and all of that. I mean, it's uh, applicable to everybody. So I I love what you're doing.
1: Oh, thank you. And I love what you're doing. Yeah. So, so what does it mean to you when you say people to create financial independence on their own terms?
0: Yes, yes. It's 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 a very generic kind of sentence. And I actually I was as I listening to that sentence, I said, you know, there there needs to be some flesh on the on the bones of that sentence. It you know, so what we have unfortunately with money is is a very we have very strong currents at telling us what to do with money, what to buy, when to retire, who to work for, all of that. And on your own terms is is easier said than done. But it's 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 letting go of some of that cultural tendencies or even, you know, what we grew up with in our families and really tuning into our own inner compass and saying, what is it that I really want? and one of the ways you can make that happen is you take uh you look at a blank spending intention statement and i have these on my website and fill it in as if you're starting from scratch like what would you want to spend on groceries a week or mortgage or or dining out or vacations and just let your imagination go do it as a blank canvas and see if you can if you can create a plan for yourself that's independent of what your parents might say, your siblings might say, your friends, the culture might say. So that's what I mean on on your own terms. And for some people that, you know, doing your financial life might be working till 65, retiring and playing shuffleboard. Um, For others, it's, no, it's retiring at 45 for five years and then going back to work at age 50. Um, So I think all of those um, options are are open for us. Uh, and it's like letting go of what we think we should do and really tuning in.
1: Yeah. And that's it's so interesting and so important. Cause as you were talking, I was thinking about the very different camps that you can listen to, right? Dave's Ram, Dave Ramsby, no debt. Robert Kiyosaki, use you, you know, leverage, use all the real estate people. You want to leverage. No, you don't want any debt. You don't want a mortgage. You want a mortgage. And, And you can just go nuts and like you say a lot of us come from families where you just you know there was money wasn't plentiful we don't necessarily feel comfortable spending money letting go of money i need, i know people who are millionaires who don't want to travel first class you know and i guess a millionaire isn't that much anymore but people who have a lot of recurring revenue a very healthy amount of recurring revenue you know, money that's coming in without their working, and they still feel like, "Ooh, I don't know if I should be spending this." I What, right? What if we're broke tomorrow? Well,
0: yeah. So, you know, so you're having you great to memories some- of having great you're, trips. Yeah, Chris, you're pointing to something else here. Is that a lot of us stay in our heads around money? There's a lot of rumination and fantasy. Um, you know, rumination tends to be more in the camp of worry and anxiety, and then there's the fantasy of like winning the lottery but we don't actually get the checkup and say, can I afford the first class?" instead of ruminating about it or, you know, and being, or being in fear of it, you know, check it out, you know, have, do the, do the math or hire someone to do the math for you and see what's, how would this impact you to do that epic vacation or, um, to, you know, to maybe um, take a less intense job. I mean, I was, I've been working with a woman who's been making a lot of money in tech, working for one of the big tech companies. And then through financial advising, she realized like, I don't need all this money. And it was this wake up to her. It's like, wow. It's like my whole company's pushing me. But in that push, there's a lot of burden because I have got to take on 70 hour a week Work work weeks and all that, and there's all the 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 you know the the frills of it. I get to fly first class and all that stuff, but Mm -hmm. it comes at a huge price. And here I am. She's like, ending her fifties. She's saying, no, I don't want to continue. So she went to her supervisor, boss, and and said, I want a different. I want a different um work life here at this tech company. And they gave it to her, and she is so thrilled. She's making less money, but she, the projection show that she absolutely is going to be fine with that less money. And she's like, so happy that she realized it because other people wait till they're 65 or never realize it, you know?
1: And that's becomes a really difficult transition, right? From like oh. push, push, push 70 hours yeah. a week. And then all of a sudden you're like, Ooh, you know, I've got yeah. nothing to do floating through life. And then depression sets in, you lose that feeling of purpose and excitement about you life. Could, and if you can you just- could,
0: th- yeah, you mean if you go like cold turkey, she went she went from probably sixty hours a week down to forty hours a week. yeah. so so for her, she's she's still feeling very purposeful, um very alive. She just doesn't feel that that she's sold her whole life to the tech company.
1: Right. And I'm 100% agreeing with you, yeah, right? I'm yeah, saying, you know, if yeah, she would have just yeah. kept pushing and pushing and pushing right, right. and they're like, okay, is this what I've been working for all this time uh-huh. of this life of doing nothing? <laughs> having this? <nothing>, yes. Right?
0: <laughs> yes. 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 But it's easy to get caught up in that, right? Yes. And, and one needs to take a look at some points. And this is where a financial coach, a financial advisor, having that outside perspective can be so valuable and just saying, wow, does that make sense? And maybe it does. I mean, I feel my role as a financial advisor is to really be in that unbiased, agnostic. I don't care what you do; it's your life. And maybe mm-hmm. for you, working eighty hours a week till you're ninety is the right path. Mm-hmm. I think I just think it's worth assessing that, and and knowing what your options are. And many people don't know what their options are. They because they, they've got tunnel vision. They don't know they have maybe they have enough money, or that there are other uh, career opportunities they could take on that would that would still support them in their lives.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's what the value too of now. If she's working forty hours a week, all of a sudden she's got some leisure time, and she can develop yes. some activities and
0: yes. hobbies
1: and things. She yes. figure out what she likes, and not wait till she's done yeah. and retired and potentially not that healthy anymore and right
0: <laughs> it's it's funny that you said that you know both of us are saying 40 hours a week is sort of like a leisure life whereas in most <laughs> of the world that's a very full work life it's just in this culture we think of 40 hours as being on the light side it means you're mm-hmm. home you're home by 5 30 or so and you've got your whole evening and you got your weekends yeah. uh, that's considered like very normal in the rest of the world. Like you should have your week. Right, 35
1: is like the norm. 35 is right.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But you're right, I know we do tend to work too much and that's not good either. But I feel like there is a middle ground, of course, and that's what you're saying too. Like maybe if you discover that you don't need this much money, all of a sudden all kinds of different careers are also options for you. Maybe now you could feel comfortable doing an entrepreneurial, you know, making an entrepreneurial move and saying, Hey, I've Absolutely. got time for a side hustle, something that I love, right? And yes. and that's gonna just bring me tons of joy, and maybe eventually become my full time gig.
0: Yes, yes, I think you know, there's certainly a, a group of us that don't save anything for retirement, or save way too little. Yes. And I think we have that sense of ourselves. But I'm noticing more and more of us are probably putting too much towards retirement. I mean, we're we're we've been so conditioned by all the advertising, save, save, save. And we're doing it and we're paying down our mortgages, a lot of us, and maybe is all you need to do is make an assumption that at age 75 or 80, you're gonna sell your home. Maybe just that one assumption is gonna allow you to go to a lower paying job in your 60s, uh, for example. So it's like, we think, oh, I gotta keep going, keep going, maybe not.
1: It's and true. if you're not you gonna, saving
0: anything, start. You know, this is the time to to start saving something for sure. Is <laughs> figure out what you know. What can you let go of in your expenses? So or put savings first is what I usually say. Is just yeah. make it like the first thing you do. Like actually, ex- you know, if you exercise first thing in the morning, it gets done. First of the month, do do that automatic savings. Yeah,
1: you know. yeah. Because we expand or contract right to right. fill the available space yes. and the. Yes. Yeah. If you've got less, you just do with less. And if you've got more, you can easily spend it. (laughs) So just take that little bit, right? Take that little chunk out and let it do its work there, the magic of compounding interest. And and do you find people getting nervous uh, like now when things are changing, things are more expensive, maybe when gas prices go up and when interest rates go up, do you find your clients are getting like, oh, oh, you know, what now? Do we have enough? Oh, what are we going to do?
0: <laughs> you know, it seems like human beings, I mean, because I've been doing this like for over 30 years, it seems like us human beings, we always find something to worry about. Like it's, and there's there's some research behind this that, you know, from a neuroscience perspective, we are wired to look out for danger. That's the most, we are, we are survival oriented. And, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> You know, if we go way back in time, you know, if there were two, pe- you know, you see two people are on the Serengeti and one's noticing the shadow of the lion. The other one isn't, is just daydreaming. Who, Who's, who's going to r- survive that over time? Right. You know, right. it's like, so we... We have a bias towards looking for negative things. If we miss the positive, it's not the end of our life. If we miss, you know, there's a patch of strawberries there, no big deal. But if we miss the <laughs> lion coming out of us, that is a big deal. So we tend to look for that with our finances. We look for the negative and the journalists know this. That's what sells things. So we can drive up our anxiety, all those, um, all that adrenaline, all that can get fired up just by reading something let alone that something actually changed with our finances it's just like some journalist out there in Idaho is telling us that the market is going to go down yeah wow well and that's going to impact my day but that's how we are i mean i'm the same way i i that's why i have to really be careful how much of that stuff i i read into right yeah. um yeah so um yeah i don't know what else i was going to say about that but um yeah, the 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 anxiety. I mean, I think that there's the anxiety over when the markets are high. There's the anxiety of they're going to fall. When the markets are low, it's like they're going to fall further. <laughs> and what I think the trick here is to look back over time, long stretches of time, and to see that there's always been impermanence. There's never been a long stretch where things just were like even. Right. Um, <laughs> there are market periods of up and market periods of down. And if we can accept that and just see that is part of this human life. If you want a different life, find another planet. But <laughs> there is impermanence, there is ups and downs. I don't care how, whether you have billions of dollars, somebody in your small circle is gonna die. Something's gonna happen. You're gonna have a setback with that money. It's just part of being on this planet Earth. And, and, and you can see that you got through the 2001, 2002 correction, you got through the 2008, 2009 correction, you got through the 2021. So, you, you know, we start to see the 2022 correction, see, so and maybe 2023, Um, <laughs> you start to see that you're capable of getting through these things and you don't need to panic. And in fact, I know that a, there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there and we know this intellectually, but it's another thing to actually act on it that when, when things are scary, when there's chaos, that is, that's been shown to be the point of maximum opportunity. That's when prices are lower. That's when people are running for the exit signs. And that's when entrepreneurs fulfill their role in the world. Because entrepreneurs, the whole word is about like coming between, it's a French word. It's about seeing what's needed. Yeah. And that's a very important thing for, to be focused on what is needed in the world. Not what do I think is needed, but what is needed by the world. Um, and the entrepreneur then fills that need. And there are more needs when things are topsy-turvy than when things are you know, going so well. So I think it's a ripe right time to be paying attention, to be, to not let yourself get into that frenzied place. Cause when we're in that fight flight place, like we're in that survival place that something's you know coming at us like a an animal but today it's it's the email it's it's the <laughs> newspaper headline that's what's coming at us and it's not real but we make it real it becomes real within our bodies you know this is the time to see what hmm, maybe there's a business opportunity out there um so I, w- I was sharing with you before we started that i i just spent some time with the head of the entrepreneurial center at brown university Um, His name is Danny Warshaw, and he he recently wrote a book, and he's wonderful, and he has some really interesting insights from his decades of studying entrepreneurship, from teaching it, from doing it. Um, And one is that, that the opportunities are now in the chaos. The other one is, and we're speaking of this, is that also sometimes in the chaos, we have less abundant resources. Or at any time, maybe you might have more limited resources. And he says, that's a bonus, that you are better off with limited resources. And this is very counterintuitive. Like, why wouldn't you be more likely to be successful with abundant resources? It's not what the research shows. The research shows that that company startups that have limited resources end up becoming more successful. You know, it's sort of like, necessity of the mother of invention, perhaps, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I think that was, that's really fascinating. So that just gave me a boost of, um, sort of energy to know that, wow, I don't have billions of dollars, but I'm actually might be better off than the people who do in terms of starting a new venture.
1: It makes sense because you're going to be more selective about the things yeah. you implement. You're going yes. to be more resourceful. You're going to be more yes looking for collaborations and ways to work with others and stuff. Thank it's you fantastic. for saying that. Yeah, that's Chris, excellent. that's
0: exactly what he said that yeah. you're much more likely to put together a really great team because you have to, you yeah. can't, you don't have wiggle room. Whereas the person with tons of funds will say, yeah, like, like, uh, yeah, my, that I want to work with my best friend, which he says is an absolute mistake. Not so <laughs> much from the, from the jeopardizing the friendship, but those kinds of teams aren't as successful. You want people who are different from you. Yeah. He says to look into your Rolodex of your sort of not so close friends, your distant friends, people that you're not in touch with on a regular basis. Look at those that, that, that circle of people and then ask people for referrals. That's the way to get a team of diverse thinkers, diverse backgrounds, all of that create mm-hmm. a much better, unif- much more likely to, team to succeed. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're not going to surround yourself with a bunch of yes people who are just going right. to agree with everything you say, exactly. right? Because they have got this cushy job you don't want
0: to lose. <laughs> it's very counterintuitive because I would think I want to be with my friends because we're going to have fun together. We're going to, you know, cheerlead each other and all that. And my friends, we're, we're different from each other. And he says, not as different as they could be. Um, You you tend to pick friends that are more likely like you and you want people that are really different, really different perspectives and skills and backgrounds and connections. You wanna get all their connections and that's gonna be found by really searching for somebody who's not exactly like you. The other thing that he says that's interesting, he says, ironically, often teams, not only are they more successful, but they become deep friends over time. when you when you when you connect with people that where you have weak links at the beginning that makes
1: sense because you do you've got the time and you're working together toward a common goal and that does forge really beautiful strong connections yes yeah it's interesting because I've had this summer I had some interns and now I have some other young people here working with me and they Mm -hmm. just think completely differently of course because they've you know got 30 years on them so
0: (laughs) Isn't that great? It's great to hang out with people like that. I've got a cousin um, who's 22 and I hang out with him and I'm a mentor for him. He's a mentor for me in some ways because he does bring that up. I mean, he's the one that told me about ChatGBT a year ago before anybody else knew about it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And because they're following the trends, they're looking at, you know, oh, I've got this like Robin Hood. That's how I found out about that was from some young clients who are, that was years ago. Like, oh, there's this thing. And I'm like, Wow, that seems a little risky. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because of the impact, right, that it can have on the market with a whole bunch of people who don't know anything about stocks or are suddenly just empowered to buy it every, you know, buy and sell on a minute by minute basis. Like that. (laughs) Yes. So totally changing tracks here, Spencer. When People start to work with you. I mean, I, I love the questionnaire on your website. That just seems mm. so fun and fantastic. Like, what do I want to be able to spend on groceries? What do I want to be able to spend on travel every year or every month or every week? And just kind of, it's a nice way to craft that ideal life that you are shooting for and to allow your imagination to soar. What are what are some of the other things that you do when you first start working with people?
0: Mm. So we, we asked them, um, a series of questions that have often have to do with, with death. Um, cause death is a great motivator. Uh, <laughs> and I have a med- meditation teacher that says, you know, it's like, everybody's going to die, but, but very few of us think that's true, right? <laughs> that death is something that happens to other people, right. but it can be a great, Motivator, and actually it can help us live our lives more fully if we're cognizant of that. And so I might ask someone a question like if, if and some of these questions, I don't know if you know George Kinder, he's, he's from Boston, um, mm-hmm. a life planner. So he sort of gave me the idea for some of these questions, but I've, I've shifted them, modified them a little bit, but you know, think questions like, okay, if the world was gonna end in five years, um, what would you do with the five years left that you have? um you know these kinds of questions can often crystallize what's really important to somebody yeah. um and then the other thing i'm doing is is i'm i'm having them create a very minimal lifestyle what's the minimal lifestyle that will just sort of get you by i want to know that number yeah and then i want to know the very comfortable number sort of with the figurative like let's say massages uh, every month uh, in, yeah. in that in that column, I want to know what that range is from that minimal column to the more comfortable column, and then play with that in the projections. Um, and then what I also do, which is so key, and um, you probably know the economist Daniel Kahneman, he talks about the mo- one of the most important things in investing is that people don't realize is what your allocation between equities and bonds, very Mm -hmm. important. And that depending upon your financial advisor and depending upon your mood and what just happened in the last week with the markets, you might make a long-term decision about your allocation that's more to do with what happened last week or more to Mm -hmm. do with your mood that morning. So I really try to look at the numbers with the allocation and say, What does this person need? How much firepower volatility do they need in order to reach their goals? And I'm trying to give someone a sense of that mathematically so Mm -hmm. we can make a less emotional decision about that asset allocation. Um, And the other thing I've discovered, and Daniel Kahneman actually writes about this too, is that if this is a simple hack, but if you look at your portfolio less often, you will be wealthier. (laughs) <laughs> that is a that is like what 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 did he just say? something that that makes no sense. It makes no sense. But here's why Daniel Kahneman says it's true. Is in his studies, what he says is when you keep looking at your portfolio so often, it has a negative impact on the brain. It starts. It creates more fear in us. It's sort of like if you're looking for what's wrong with yourself. If you're kind const- constantly judging yourself that's going to cloud your sense, your self-esteem is going to be lower. And if you have, if you're checking the market every second, you're seeing more of these ups and downs. So you think the market is more volatile than it actually is. And as a result, you will change your allocation over time, or you're more likely to jump uh, jump out of the market when the market goes down, which is of course the worst thing to do from a, any kind of scientific perspective, logical perspective, and yet we all, not only do we do it, but financial experts do it. People with PhDs do it. And that's why I say that emotion is as impactful as your knowledge when it comes to financial success. So just looking less often, like maybe look at your portfolio once a quarter, or if you can't do once a quarter, once a month, that will make you more money. Trust me on this one. You will you will not be as reactive to the volatility. And that's a very healthy thing, both for your whole being, for your mind, but it's also much healthier for your finances to not have that overreactivity. And I think I think you can also get a sense of this. If you look at the long term nature of things, you know, people will say, wow, this was such a crazy year. Look at you know and up now, but then you then you look at the graph over ten years, and you say it's actually boring. This stuff is <laughs> really boring, and yet the journalists have to make it exciting, so they focus on the very short term yeah. fluctuations, which are kind of exciting if if that's your thing. But yeah. we don't care about that. We're not investing for the return next week or next month. We're investing for the return over the next 10, 20 years. Right, exactly. Well,
1: and you bring up a good point about allocation because I know mm-hmm. there's a, there are a lot of people who, especially if they're invested in like their company's portfolio, you know, their company's I, uh, you know, whatever uh, retirement plan, that they're going to make an allocation once and they may yeah. not check it again. And so yeah. one thing may have grown, another thing may have shrunk, and they're all mixed up. And they don't, they never go back and adjust. They don't sell when it's they time to re-balance. sell and buy when it's time yeah. to buy. Right. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. No, that's really, that happened. I mean, I remember there were so many articles on this in like the late nineties as the tech market was going crazy and people all of a sudden had like, you know, 20% of their, their portfolio was in one large tech company. Um, and, and their, their percentage of stocks versus bonds was completely out of balance they weren't rebalancing sort of like, you know, rebalancing your tires. Like if you, <laughs> if one tire has too much air, you need to take some of that air, move it to a tire that has, doesn't have enough air. Um, not a perfect analogy, but it's, it's so true for, for our investments is we want to that, that rebalancing and the beautiful thing about it is it forces us to buy low and sell high, which is exactly what we want to do when you look at history, but we have a hard time doing emotionally. No one wants to buy low and sell high.
1: Right. It's true. It's true. You want to buy when everyone else is buying because it's exciting. And you want to yes. sell when things are terrible because you don't want to hold on to that dog anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> right.
0: Right. 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 That's the locker room talk, right? Like, oh, <laughs> man, you're still in that. You know, the market's still going down and down. You're going to lose more. Just get, I got out. I'm safe.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah how are you're you safe. safe now? You yeah, locked in that loss. Good you job. You locked in
0: the loss. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a scary thing. I mean, I think so few of us actually understand what's happening with the stock market and understand yeah. what the, like, it's, isn't it much more fun to buy like three individual stocks or yeah. 10 individual stocks than it is to buy one boring old, you know, ETF or something. I mean, how fun is that?
0: Boring. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah. So there's that that we seek excitement from our investing when we should be getting it from other places. Like go skydiving and have a boring (laughs) portfolio is what I say. Keep it boring because that's actually done really well over time. And here's an area of your life where you don't need to stress. There's a lot of evidence for keeping it boring, and you'll do quite well. Um, The other thing that sort of gets to your point a little bit is there was an article in the New York Times about studies at Vanguard and Fidelity about who does better, men or women, when it comes to investing. And the results were dramatic. Women do much better than men. And of course, answering the why question is harder, but some of the journalists said that women are not so reactive. Women do not think they know something about the future. Um, In general, women have not been as educated about money often they don't get as much education from their parents or it's just not in our culture as much but not knowing as much can actually be helpful with investing because you just stay the course because you don't have this idea like oh wow, i really think xyz company is going to hit a home run next year i know something yeah. you know and that's what gets you in trouble. You think you're the only one who knows something, but there's a million other people who know it and it's already priced in. Yeah. And yeah. you can't, it's very, it's, it's um, you know, that that's where it's it's a fallacy that you can actually get an edge on somebody else. I mean, that you're moving towards gambling if you start thinking that way, is yes. what the evidence shows us. And but the results were so dramatic. Like women are just much better investors. So maybe that's my next book, Invest Like a Woman. Right. <laughs> they just keep it simple. And, you know, it's funny because I was once with um, a client, a potential client, and, and I was talking to her and she said, You know, I know nothing about investing. So I said, Well, I just want to play a game with you. I said, How would you invest given that you know nothing? And she said, Come on, Spencer. I just told you I know nothing. I know. So I kept pressing her. And it took about 10 minutes. I said, you know, you know, you know. She finally surrendered and said, you know what? Given that I don't know anything, I'd invest in everything. I said, that's the right answer. That's <laughs> the right answer. You'd invest in everything. And that's another reason, I think, you know, why sometimes the less sophisticated person does better because they'll spread their money out in everything as opposed to thinking, I know that the tech... Mark, you know the tech stocks are going to go up next year. I know that Europe is going to outperform the U.S. next year. That's the kind of uh, crystal balling that gets us in trouble.
1: Absolutely, and and that is, and then there is an ego component, right? You want to be able to brag to your friends that you did the great job. I bought that at five bucks, you know.
0: Yes, (laughs) yes, and and so many of us have that example, but we don't talk about all the companies we bought at five bucks that went to zero. Uh, (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So, so true. And I,
1: yeah, I can honestly tell you that some of the worst losses that I've had have been after some guy has given me this hot tip that, oh, this company is going to go. I remember one time a friend of mine who does day trading, he told me, I'm watching this company and they're really great. And they make these um, bulletproof vests and they're lighter and they're better and blah, 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 blah. And you got to buy this. I said, okay, fine. So I put just a small amount of money in there. Like, right, what can I afford to lose? I'm just going to put that small okay. amount in there and just see what happens. So great, small company, everything's wonderful. But then the president, gets arrested for his third time of drunk driving, and now he's in jail, and basically the company's worth nothing. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Why did you tell me the guy was in drunk? <laughs> because that, yes. you know,
0: yes. I mean, this is the all these these company specific risks risks that we can get rid of the company specific risks by yeah. by buying thousands of companies. Yeah. And this is what we do for our clients is we don't want to take on that risk that that one company making these bulletproof vests is going to, you know, collapse because the leader, you know, it gets in trouble. We want hundreds of those companies. So some of our companies will go bankrupt, but when you own thousands, you don't care if a handful of companies go bankrupt.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's fun. Do you do you find when you work with couples that there are a lot of um very different ideas. And do you have to reconcile a little bit? Cause I, you know, I'm a yeah. real estate agent. I find that a lot. Like this person's like, yeah. I don't want to fix a or, and I've got this great. And the other one's like, uh-uh, I don't even want to paint. I just want to walk in and hang up my stuff and be done. And yeah. like, how are we going to get these two people into the same house, you know? <laughs> yes,
0: yes. Yeah, no, I definitely find differences. And sometimes they're kind of like stereotypical. I mean, not always. I mean, sometimes the woman will want to, you know um, will be a bigger risk taker. Um, but oftentimes it's the guy who's feels like you can hit a home run. Like, I want to know, like, can you tell me about any IPOs, any, you know, stocks that are going to become the the next Amazon or Tesla? I want to know about those companies. Um, I'm willing to risk some of this money. So, you know, then what I do is I'll, I'll, create a, you know, how much money can this couple afford to lose? And I'll put that in a separate account and let that, that spouse, um,
1: cowboy or cowgirl. Yeah. (laughs) Yes,
0: exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It could be, it has been the woman occasionally, but it's a man and let them play with that. But now they know, and the other spouse knows that it's okay. If that goes to zero, it's fine. If it quadruples more power then now, they have more money to play with. Right. So that's been a way to resolve that for couples in a really harmonious way. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing is, is, is that thing of how often do you look at it? I've had to talk to couples about that because, you know, one spouse is like, oh, it drives me so crazy looking at the thing. I don't, I don't want stocks at all. And I say, well, that's what's going to drive return. That's what's going to allow you to retire early. Yeah. Uh, the odds are just in your favor. So what if you don't look at it so often? And maybe we you know, we have quarterly meetings and that's, I'll tell you what's going on every quarter, but it's going to save you so much stress, right? I mean, you're laughing, right? Because it's it's so true, right? How many times in life with our investments or with other things have we found out about something that we learned something that we didn't need to know? Right. It was like, we could have just waited till the end of the quarter to learn about what our investments did. We didn't need to know about that big up and down during the quarter. Um, You know, it's sort of like when you get an email from a friend and it's like, it looks like a strange email and you can get all upset about it. But if you just wait, often the friend will send another email. Whoops. Sorry about that. You know, you know, the spell corrector, you know, you know, I didn't mean (laughs) to say that. Right. I mean, that's happened so often at work where yeah. I've overreacted to an email at work and if I just waited it would have been better um and I think that's so true with the stock market.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And it
1: sounds like Spencer you have to do a lot of educating in your yeah. in your role. Yeah.
0: Yeah, educating um I mean I think there's educating there's inspiring this there's, there's there's getting people to see that there are no absolute guarantees. Um, unfortunately, we just don't live in that on that planet where you can offer anyone any kind of guarantees. Right. Right. I mean, it's like uh, a doctor can't offer you any guarantees, and a financial advisor, or a lawyer can't offer you any guarantees. Nobody can offer you guarantees, and I'm, I'm, t- but I, I help people see that if we focus on the things that have the high probabilities of success, okay. that's a pretty good path to walk down. I mean, why would you want to walk down a path that has like a 1% chance of success, which is often that path where you're, you know, maybe like not putting anything in stocks or you're only want to bet on two or three companies, you know, that has a one or two or 5% chance of success. What about if we do something that has like a 95% chance of success? Yeah. You know, so that's, that people really like hearing it that way. Like, okay, I get it. There's a chance that anything could happen. There could be this total nuclear war or whatever. You know, we can't, we cannot protect you from everything. And if we do, it's going to take away your current quality of life. If we build in so many insurance policies, you know, so it's like that balance, right? Because we find that literally with insurance, right? We have to have a balance with our insurance. Otherwise you can spend your whole paycheck on insurance policies, (laughs) right? (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's absolutely true. You can't, there's no quality of life. There's no fun.
0: No fun, no quality. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Spencer, what do you think of the 4% rule?
0: Mm, mm. For withdrawals from a portfolio. Yeah, that just seems like,
1: I I think I need like five or $10 million for that. (laughs) I know,
0: I know. I think- you know, I, I, well, I know some financial advisors who say, no, it's not 4%, it's 3%, which is like even worse, <laughs> even better. you could even, you mean, you can only take out 3%. That means if I have a million dollars, I can only take out 30,000 a year. And I think we, as, as financial advisors are very biased towards making sure someone doesn't run out of money. Cause that's the only way you could sort of get sued is <laughs> you can't get sued for leaving too much money at the end, even though that can be a problem, a big problem. That you, you, you tell me to only take out 30,000 a year and now I've got all this money and I'm 90 and I can't do, I have no interest in doing the epic vacation. So I, I try to find a little balance there. I, I usually aim for like four to 5% withdrawals, but you know, it depends on the, the life expectancy that the person thinks they're going to have, what. What other what backup plans do they have? Do they have houses that they could sell? That they're open to selling um, yeah. along the way? Um, do they have family that might support them if things don't go well? So I look at a bunch of factors, but I usually feel that most of us, including myself, sometimes are sacrificing a little bit of the too much of the present for the future. Yeah. That we're having people live on too little money right now. Um, I mean, the other thing I try to get people to do is let's make some assumptions about your future. Like once you hit 80 or 85, you're not going to be doing vacations because very few people right. want to do, want to be, you know, stuck somewhere in the Paris airport for two days, you know, <laughs> when you're 85 years old, it's just no is fun, at that right? <laughs> you know, when your luggage gets lost, it's like we that's that's but that's a big expense for a lot of people is the, right. those vacations and we're not yeah. doing them we're not shopping for all the clothes any, anymore we're yeah. we're not even dining out as much because we just want to be more quiet it's like a hassle to go out as much when we're 85 right. so mm-hmm. if we can make some of those assumptions uh, about our expenses then maybe that allows us to withdraw a little bit more today. Maybe we can get up to five or even six percent today if we know that our expenses are going to be so much lower in 20 years. Right, so right. those are all the things that I play around with to come up with something that might work better for people today.
1: Yeah. It's quite a it's quite a craft. It's quite a skill. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. it's an art, it sounds like an art form. Yes,
0: it is. <laughs> It is, I mean, there's a combination of science and then also intuiting and listen. really listening. I, I mean, I always say one of the, what I think makes a great financial advisor is when you can listen so well you and ask the right questions that your clients could come up with their own answers. Because they have more wisdom than yeah. than you do. They know their situation better than you do. And if they come up with the answer, they're more likely to follow it than if you tell them what to do. So yeah. part of it is really, is, is listening well, responding, asking, you know, great questions. How are you going to do that? What if that doesn't work out? What's, you know, how has that worked for you before? You know, just really getting curious, getting curious and not bringing your bias, bringing what I call a beginner's mind, um, that curiosity, that, that beginner's mind will help your client get to their own answers.
1: And that's like coaching. That's what we yeah. do in coaching, right? You don't right. want to be just like, hey, all right, here's the prescription, right? This is what yeah. you need to do. Here's your allocation. Uh, go home. Yeah. I'll see you in 10 years, right? It's just, yes. you're right. They, you want their complete, under, they want to understand what's happening. They want to understand yeah. why they're doing that. And I'm sure that makes the whole process much easier for everyone.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: So Spencer, what's the, what's the program that you have, the online program that you have coming up?
0: Yeah. So I have one on January 7th um, and it is um, a 10 AM to 4 PM that specific time. So it's, it's a live program. Um, so 1 PM, what's that? 1 PM to 7 PM on January 7th. And that's open to everyone. Um, it's a program that kind of teach brings in, how do you work with your emotions around money? And it's a. I've been doing this one for ten years, and it's on donation basis. So feel free to show up, and you can pay whatever you want. Um, I also have an ongoing program called Fearless Finance, um, which is a monthly program with a live session with me, and there's a recorded course as well. Um, and you can check all this out. There's. All, I also have these free resources um, on my website, and you can get all that if you type in Spencer Sherman dot com slash free forward slash free spencer shermancom sherman dot com forward slash free you'll get um my list of free um resources and you'll also be be get notices of other events that are coming up
1: fantastic so yeah. we'll put all that into the show notes for right. you so you don't have to try Great. to write it down while you're driving but spencer Great. that's fantastic Great. so what is is what do you wish I would have asked you that I haven't asked you? What what do oh, you want to make sure question. that people know before we part for the day?
0: That's a great question. Um how do you shift your shift your mindset from always need, feeling like you need more to this place of enough? So one is to recognize that it's universal to always want more. Everybody wants more including believe it or not billionaires. That we all want more. There's always something Else we can buy. Uh, so to recognize that, and also to recognize that every time you said to yourself, "Well, when I get to this place, I'll be okay." You know, when I get married, when I buy the house, when I retire, when my kids leave the house, when I my portfolio reaches a million or five million or ten million, then I'll have enough. And probably when you cross those thresholds, you felt enough for maybe a day or a week, Yeah. and then you keep moving then that you bar. A new, you kept moving the goalposts, right? Yeah. And there's such value both for your own inner health and for your finances in coming to this place of enough. And what I feel is the only way to get there is to find enough right now. I don't care if your finances are an absolute mess, find a way for what you have to be enough right now. And that will start to train your brain to be oriented towards this place of sufficiency, which I believe is a is a boundless place to be in like when you're no longer striving for things to be different you're no longer striving for your 5 million to get to 10 million you're more relaxed and when we're when our when we're more relaxed our brains function more optimally we're making wiser decisions about our finances and there's the irony we're more likely to get to those those bigger numbers but we're not craving for it we're not we're not um Feeling like we have to like like we're gonna be okay once we get there. We're already okay?
1: Right, right. So, no, that's a fantastic point, point. and yeah. that's all it brings in the law of attraction and all kinds of yes. other good.
0: Exactly, right, thing. right. I mean, we know from the dating world that if you're if you're sending out a if you're transmitting that you're desperate, you're yeah, not that's as attractive. Just
1: not a turn on. Yeah. right. <laughs> and it's the, the same way. <laughs> it's
0: the same with our finances that many of us are transmitting a sense of desperation. And what if you showed up at work today or tomorrow and you're 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 transmitting a sense of enoughness? I think you're more likely to get a raise next January.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Oh, awesome. Spencer, thanks so much for being yeah. with us. I love talking to you. I love your energy. You're a fun guy. Too. And I would definitely trust you with my money.
0: Thank you, Chris. That means a lot to me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. thank you. Well, it's really been great. you're you you're a great host, and you ask great questions. Thank and you're you. so devoted, I can tell to your audience to really make a difference for them. You know you know you're not just doing this just to do it. You really want to make an impact on their lives. So thank you for bringing it on.
1: Awesome. Thanks for being with us. And thank yeah. you, listener, for listening. Who do you want to share Spencer with? Come up with, why don't you just like right now think of at least two or three people that you want to share Spencer's message with and, for this episode to them, because I know they will thank you. And then I hope we'll all see you on January 7th for Spencer's program. Yes. And in the meantime, have a fantastic week.